I received a call late yesterday informing me that Rick had uh, had an accident and he wouldn't be able to uh, be here today. So what to do, what to do? Uh, I just didn't have the nerve on this uh, Easter weekend to try to call around and get a preacher that might be able to come, might not be able to come. So, But I did have the nerve to call some of our brothers in Christ at the White Oak Congregation. Brother uh, Joe will be preaching for us tonight. And you've already heard a good lesson this morning So uh, in Sunday school. And I thought since I had the nerve to call these brothers, uh, Jeff, of course, taught that lesson this morning. I had the nerve to call him, and I had the nerve to call Joe. And I thought, well, if I've got the nerve to call them, I ought to have the nerve to do something myself. So here we are. Uh, Rick had a really nasty accident. And I told Nicole, he's, he's going to have more problems when he gets well than when he's going through this because of all the hassle he's going to get from his good buddies. Uh, it's great to see everyone, wonderful to see everyone, and the visitors, and it's great to see some that I haven't seen in years. It's wonderful to see you. You know, today is a special day to most of the religious world, that is, the most of the religious world that call themselves Christian. Easter. You know, I, I, I did a study on Easter from the Bible. It didn't take me long. It's not there. Easter is used one time in the Bible. Acts chapter 12 verse 4. And it says, And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to the quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. And of course this is when Christ was going to be crucified. The word Easter in that verse should have been interpreted Passover because it's the same word used every other time in the New Testament for Passover. If you look it up, it means Passover. Why it was interpreted Easter, I have no idea. It's Passover. And we know the weekend, of course, that Christ was crucified, and we have the complete story of that. But the... uh, The religious world celebrate Easter as the day of Christ's resurrection, as a special religious holiday in effect. We do not do that because we have no authority from the Bible to do such. I love Easter. I love Christmas. I love the 4th of July. You know why? Those are family events when we get together with our families and we eat. It's a wonder I don't weigh 400 pounds because my dear wife, among all her good qualities, one of them is she's a great cook. Anyway, uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, what we do celebrate from a memorial standpoint is not the resurrection of the Christ, even though we are so glad that he was resurrected. Let me read what the Bible does say about his resurrection in in one particular place. And we, we not only appreciate it, we love it. Listen to this. 
Now, if Christ be preached and that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain and your faith is also vain? Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he raised not up. If so be that the dead rise not, for if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. You are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that sleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. Christ was resurrected. He is the firstborn. He's called the firstborn because he is the first person resurrected that will never die again. We memorialize because God has told us to, not his resurrection, but his death. We remember that death on the first day of the week, Acts 20, verse 7, when And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. You don't have to worry about that this morning. Let me also read 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come the memorial of remembering the death of the Christ is what we do. It's the only memorial event that we celebrate. We celebrate it because He died for us. We eat the bread and we drink the cup. We do not memorialize in a special event His resurrection. The Lord's Supper is all about His death. We show the death and His death until He comes. We eat the bread which represents spiritually us partaking of the purity that was in his body. We take that purity into ourselves. When we drink the cup, the cup represented which is his blood spiritually, and the blood is life. Life was in the Christ, life would be in us. That's why we celebrate and recognize and memorialize his death. We're baptized into his death. Romans chapter 6. We're not baptized into his resurrection. We're baptized into his death where he cleansed us from all sin. So we don't celebrate and recognize as a special memorial event the resurrection. Oh, we are so glad that it happened and we know what happened and we study it and we're... uh, thrilled that it did because without his resurrection all of this would be in vain he had to be resurrected and he was but you know why he was born he was born to die his death destroyed the works of the devil and that's why we recognize it on a weekly basis every first day of the week
we don't celebrate and memorialize the resurrection, even though we are so glad that it did happen. And it did happen. Now, to the subject of today's uh, lesson. I I thought it was appropriate to discuss that because uh, most of the world, again, recognizes this day as a special day uh, to remember his resurrection. We remember it all the time, but we memorialize the death through the Lord's Supper. I thought it would be good to discuss God's grace to mankind. And this is, uh, well, I started on it late last night, so I didn't get to see it till this morning. My printer didn't work. I asked Kathy to print it first thing this morning, so now I have it in print. I keyed it on, the, on my laptop. God's grace. We don't have many sermons on that. Uh, we have very good sermons on many subjects. God's grace, and let's talk for a minute about what is the definition of grace. And, and you all, I, I don't expect that I'm going to tell you much or, make, or, or teach you much this morning, but remind you of all of these things. Grace, in its purity, is the unmerited love and favor of God relative to the scriptural meaning of the word grace in the Bible as well as other meanings. It means kindness, beauty, favor or gift, pleasant or precious. It has all of those characteristics of meaning. So grace is is a wonderful word, wonderful word. There's an aspect of the gift of grace that some may not have considered. We hear in, in, in our dealings with people about the grace of God. And there's a thought among the religious world, and, and, and I think you know what I mean when I say that, that grace covers just about everything. The grace of God will cover everything. No matter what we do or when we do it, the grace of God is sufficient to cover that for us. Well, when you study grace, there is something that we should consider. Even though a gift is never earned nor paid for, we don't pay for gifts and we don't earn those gifts. Any gift, whatever that gift is, must have an eligible recipient. We don't get a gift unless we are eligible to receive that gift, whatever that gift may be. In some cases, eligibility may simply be that the recipient is a family member, an employee, a citizen, or maybe even simply be a human being to receive grace. God through His Son, of course, created everything. Colossians 1.16 says, For by Him were all things created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. God created man. 
Genesis 1, 27, So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. God created everything. Of course, through the study of that, we know that it was his son who did that through the word. And God said, and it was created. He also created man. What did he do before he created man? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we read in Genesis chapter 1, everything he created. You know the last thing that he created? was man. He created the environment for man to live in. That was a gift to man. Life itself was a gift to man. James 1, 16 and 17 says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Every good gift and perfect gift. I think it's a good gift that we have a world to live in. God didn't create anything that was not perfect. I think God's grace to mankind includes many things that we overlook as being a gift of God or God's grace. We are recipients of God's grace simply because we are human beings. We didn't do anything to buy or pay for the world that we live in. That was done before we even existed. God created it for us to use. Colossians 1.16 says, For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and are in earth, visible and invisible, whether it be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. Everything God created was for us to enjoy and to live in and sometimes to deal with. Listen to what Acts 17 verse 28 says. You know, life itself, with all of the elements of life, this body that we have that is so just unbelievably intricate and complex, just think about the elements of the body. And we've talked about this in one of our Sunday school lessons about the attributes of Christ and His creation. Just think about the eye. How Wonderful the eye is. It allows the spiritual element that resides in us, that is our soul, to visibly see the creation that God created for us. The eye is an extremely intricate organ in all of its elements to get to visibility to the soul. God created that. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your poets have said, for we are also his offspring. In him we live and move and have our being. God, through his grace, gave us life and all the elements of life. The body that we have, the mind that we have, the soul that is us, which is a spiritual element, 
our ability to reason. We were created in His image. Our ability to love. The emotions we have and the desires we have. All because we're human beings. We didn't deserve that. We didn't buy that. We didn't pay for that. That was God's grace that gave us all of those things. So God's grace encompasses us with just life itself and all the things pertaining to that. The earthly environment was created for us. And if you study the, uh, the environment we live in, it, it, it's beyond my comprehension. Most of it is. Even the great elements, the, the planet we live on. I saw a, a documentary not long ago where, you know, the more we learn about the cosmos and space, the, the more we learn, the bigger it gets. The billions and trillions of stars and solar systems around those stars, the planets. You know, the, uh, the astro- astrological people are looking for a planet that's like Earth. They've found some out there that are, you know, circulating around a sun. But, you know, every one that they find is just massively uninhabitable. It's either on fire or it's either so cold that it's thousands of degrees cold. They haven't found another planet that's like Earth. God created this Earth for us. Just look around us. And oh, the, the, the cosmos itself is just unimaginable to me. It was created for our wonder. Only, only I can determine because I wonder how, how, how is all of this. God did it. We didn't do it. But look at something very much closer to us than the cosmos. Look at the planet. Look at the geographical forms of this planet. How absolutely amazing and beautiful geography is. Just any element of the geography. Look at the mountains. Look at the plains. Look at the fields. Look at the rivers. Look at the oceans. Geography is just unbelievably just awe-inspiring to me. God created all of that for us by His grace. Or we didn't earn it, we didn't deserve it, we didn't pay for it, but it was for us. Look at all of the elements that inhabit this planet, all the life forms of the plants, the trees, the grasses, the flowers, the just the, the massive number of different life forms and how beautiful each of them are in their own right. For man, all of that was created. Add to that all of the animal life for our pleasure to have dominion over. Some of you love dogs and cats, I know. I do. How great is that to have a, uh, a, a pet 
that's an animal that, uh, and that pet has the capability of love for you just like you do for it. It doesn't have the ability to reason like you do. It doesn't have an eternal soul like you do. But it has the ability to show and respect uh, what you do for it. All of that created for us. And oh wow, what about our earthly families and our associates? We didn't design that. God blessed them and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over every living thing. How precious are our families, our spouses, our children, our grandchildren. How precious does it get? We didn't do it. It was This environment was set up for us through God's grace. Mothers and grandmothers, fathers, grandfathers, fathers and mother-in-laws and sons-in-laws and daughters-in-laws and our dear, dear friends. Through God's grace, we have this association of people. And oh, how precious are brothers and sisters in Christ. How precious. We didn't do it. God did it through His love and grace toward us. You know, grace is the outpouring of that love from God. It's the manifestation of the love, His grace toward us. And all of these things are there simply because we are who we are. We didn't earn any of that. We didn't buy any of that. We didn't pay for any of that. God provided all of that through His grace. God also, at uh, has, has told us in His... He's given us a book to tell us who He is and what He expects of us and tells us about where we are. We wouldn't know any of this except He told us through his book. The book of Proverbs just has many, many uh, axioms of life as well as the book of Ecclesiastes. There is nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw that it was from the hand of God. Ecclesiastes 2.24 He should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. God expects us to enjoy this environment that we're in. Ecclesiastes 3, 11 through 13, He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also he hath set the world in their hearts so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it, that men should fear before him. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. There's a pattern here. We ought to enjoy the good of our labor. We've got to do something to... 
enjoy that good. But that's what God wants us to do. We should enjoy the ability to work. And those who can't long for the day that uh, they could do it. Wherefore I perceive that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his own works, for that is his portion. We should rejoice in our own works. Now that don't mean we ought to be haughty and proud of what we do. We ought to be honored that we can do things and enjoy what we can do. Whatever work that might be, whether it's physical work, it's creative work, whether whether it's uh, some form of work that provides an honest living for us. Behold, that which I have seen, it is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life which God giveth him, for it is his portion. God gives us life and expects us to enjoy life. He don't expect us to uh, be sorrowful for everything that we have. He expects us to recognize what it is, that it's a gift from him because of his grace, and enjoy that. Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of the life of thy vanity, which he hath given thee under the sun. Oh, and, and we have those in our audience who, who did that for the lifetime of their spouse, and now they long that that time was here again. Everything in life is not necessarily pleasant. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with a might, for there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. God expects us to be earnest in the work that we do and to do it with our might. Whatever we do, do it the best we can. That's what he expects of us. And he expects us to enjoy that. We shouldn't be ashamed that we can do something well. We ought to be internally proud, not boastful and arrogant about it, but a self-confidence and an appreciation internally of what we can do through work. And you know, there's something also that God has told us. We live in a world that uh, we don't, you know, and you, you've heard me say this before, we don't know what's going to happen two seconds from now. We have no idea. We expect things to go on and we'll finish this and we'll go about our lunches today and a meal this evening, etc. But we don't know that that's going to happen. I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise nor yet riches to men of understanding nor yet favor to men of skill, but time and chance happeneth to them all. We live in a world that, uh, that we can't predict. You know, by faith we know a lot of things. But we can't say by faith we know something that's going to be secular in this world. Because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word. We want things to happen and we expect things to happen and think they will, but we don't know that it will. 
The other aspect of grace relative to eligibility. All of those things that we've talked about so far, pretty much all of those, uh, we were eligible for His grace simply because we're created human. You know, something that has an eligibility requirement is the promise of eternal life. His saving grace requires an element of eligibility that's not given to us simply because we're human. And that eligibility requirement is obedience. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation to all them that obey him. So that eternal salvation are to those that obey him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We've got to believe in him and we know from a study of believe that that means obedience to whatever he says. Not only do believe it and accept it as a truth but actually do it if there's a commandment associated with it. Eligibility. The grace that's the saving grace is a gift. For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. We're saved by His grace. We're not saved by our faith. The faith was the element of eligibility that allowed Him to provide that grace to us, which was saving. We didn't do it. He did it. We only accepted it through faith, that element of eligibility for Him to give it to us. I have several examples of that, but uh, I'll only use one of them. An employee of a company received a cross pen as a gift. The employee didn't earn the pen, didn't pay for it. The company had a policy. Each employee who works for the company for 25 years will will be given a cross pen as a gift. The employee became eligible for the gift after 25 years of employment. So by grace, employees receive a pen through policy and that not of themselves. It's the gift of the company. I didn't pay for it. I didn't earn it. I happened to be there for 25 years. But it was a gift of the company through their grace. Just like salvation. I have faith which made me eligible to receive the gift of the promise of eternal life. It's the gift of God. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will be withheld from them that walk uprightly. God is full of grace. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly, and this is Paul talking, than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me.
Having received God's grace, we also have a responsibility. Now this one is, I'm stepping on my own toes here. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let not corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Colossians 4.6, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. The element of grace there is kindness and beauty when we deal with people as opposed to harshness and roughness would be truth. God's grace abounds to us all through the gifts of life and the environment we live in. Many elements simply because we're human, but the most important gift of all is salvation. The gift of salvation by God's grace has an eligible requirement of obedience. God's Word, we learn that eligibility is very straightforward, even though most of the world doesn't recognize it. To receive that grace, the eligibility requirements are this. We hear the Word, the Word of God, what He has told us. We believe it. We accept it into our hearts as being true and actually understand that it's truth and accept that. We repent of those things that were against that word that we've committed in our past. And we confess the precious name of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God, and be baptized into His death unto or for the remission of sins. That's when God bestows His grace upon us, that grace being the gift of eternal life. We become His child. Our name is written in heaven. After those steps of obedience, there's one further step. We must lead a faithful life. In closing, Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful of Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. He's blessed us with all spiritual blessings through His grace. According as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved, and we, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. One final scripture. You know, when we read the Word, the very first thing He says is, In the beginning God created And He tells us about everything He did for us throughout this Word. All of the maturity of mankind, all of the elements He created for us through His grace. He told us how to obey Him and how we should receive the the wonderful gift of eternal life through His grace. You know, the very last thing that He tells us, 
The very first thing was in the beginning. The very last thing he tells us, Revelation chapter 22, verse 21. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. If there's any present who uh, has not obeyed the gospel of Christ or any any present who has obeyed the gospel and has fallen short of faithfulness and for if that faithfulness is public and you need to make a public confession or if you would like to be baptized into Christ, now is the time. There's no reason to wait while we stand and sing.